And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on The Athletic Podcast Network. And welcome to another edition of the Hoops Adjacent episode of The Athletic MBA Show. David Aldrich here. Waz in LA. You are back in LA, right? So what's up, man? I'm good, man. Can't complain. Just just maintaining. Trying to, trying to ride out the, the pandemic as best we can, because... We're finally at the beginning of the end. It's nowhere close to over, y'all. <laughs> but we're at the beginning of the end. No, I think I think you're right. I'm starting to get a little bit of optimism. Looks like the case numbers are going down around the country. Not everywhere, but around the, in, in lots of different places in the, around the country. Um, hopefully they can get these vaccines in people's arms as soon as possible. Looks like they got multiple options now. And you just hope that they can do this quicker and sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, I, I hear you. I think we are hopefully starting to get our arms around this thing. And we got, you know, we got the government in charge. Some type that's of, gonna, a little bit of leadership at least. That's actually going to try and <laughs> mitigate this and, and reduce the numbers, you know, <laughs> as many numbers as you can. So I'm encouraged by that. We'll have uh, Jason Quick on from The Athletic in Oregon, who covers the Blazers in a few minutes to talk about Portland and the kind of defensive struggles that they've had. Jason wrote a piece. We're tapping this, taping this today on Tuesday. He wrote a piece about the Blazers being awful defensively uh, and what's going to happen as a result of that, um, how much ownership Dame Lillard takes from that. And we'll get to him in a few minutes. But we wanted to talk about the 1st of February and Black History Month being in February, as Chris Rock often says, it's the shortest month for a reason. Uh, <laughs> it's not a coincidence that they gave us the shortest month. But was, <laughs> was it's uh, there's so many ways you could go on this yeah. as we start to celebrate this month and start to celebrate, you know, our people that have made so many strides and they've done so much. In fact, I was on Twitter, of course, this morning, and I forget who did it. I think it was Joe Madison who has a show on, on Sirius XM. He's been in the game for, for a long time uh, doing, a, doing a show uh, uh, primarily catering to African-American audience. But I think he had a tweet about, did you know the guy who created the ice cream scoop? Was a black guy? I didn't know that. I did not know that. I did not know that. Huge invention. <laughs> if you ever tried to scoop some really cold ice cream with just a regular spoon, with a spoon, you know how God. important that invention is. Right, right. So good looking out. You know, I did not, I was not aware of that. But yeah, man, um, you know, and here's how I think we could tie it into like current contemporary events. Um, you can look at the, Super Bowl coming up this week and the fact that Eric Bieniemy, who's an offensive coordinator for the, the defending Super Bowl champions can't get a sniff yeah. can't, can't, can't get an interview to save his life you know if he gets one he, everybody says well he didn't do well in the interview as if his body of work on the football field shouldn't be enough 
um, you know, what, what do you, you know, what are you looking, looking at and what are the things that you hope people look at and emphasize over these next 28 days when we look back and try to look forward with regard to, uh, our people and, and the contributions we've made? You know, like so many things, DA, I'm of two minds of it. Um, I understand specifically when you talk to other black people about the sort of, I don't know, just the indignation when it comes to the idea that we get a single month to celebrate our contributions to this land here, right? When the the actual calcu- um contributions, you can't even calculate it. It's it's right. impossible to calculate how how much has been contributed by the descendants of West African slaves here in America. Like, yeah. and, and that goes in all walks of life, right? So I understand just like, really, you're giving, you're giving us a month. I get that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think it is important because you cannot count on mainstream culture to get this right. It kind of has to be us. And if, you know, we finally get afforded the platform and the space and the runway to tell our stories, to exalt the people from the past um, the right way, then I think we got to do it, right? Because you see what happens in the hands of the mainstream. Just look at Martin Luther King Jr., who we talked about recently because of the Martin Luther King holiday. Look how watered down and sort of, you know, like... It's a bit dehumanizing. They've turned him into a deity, right? Instead of a human being, right? Like a complex, nuanced person. Like that's what happens when our stories get told within the mainstream context. So I think it's important for people like us to tell our stories um, in their full depth and complexity the right way. So that, you know, even if it is just for this month, People get to be venerated, right? Like we get to lionize some people in the way that they deserve, you know. And I wrote in my latest, you know, my my fashion thing for the culture vertical. I was like, I can't even begin to get into the contributions, but let's just take our little freaking piece that we have fun with here every single day. The world of fashion in America. Um, you can take countless brands that to this day, they make sure that their brands are seen on the taste-making black people in this country so that they can then push those brands to the masses. They need that stamp of approval from black people to take their brands into the stratosphere. And the number one example of that is none other than Nike. (laughs) You can talk about Michael Jordan by himself, just as an athlete, as a pitch person, as all of that, right? Like Nike was a nice little company, then they signed Michael Jordan. Then they started putting out his sneakers and they became something completely different. And through Jordan and his brand and his sneakers in black communities, making those defining what those sneakers meant within the greater culture, Nike becomes the greatest shoe and apparel company in the history of this right. country. Like, do you understand yeah, yeah. that? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's no, a direct absolutely. line from Nike just being some track company, track and field company, to getting Jordan, to selling those shoes, to being the behemoth that they are today, right? And that's just that little that little space 
uh, called clothing and culture and all of that. You see the contribution of black people. So, you know, forget about all of the other places bigger and wider in America, right? And so, you know, sure, it's just a month, but it's important that we vocalize this stuff. Yeah, no, that absolutely. And, you know, well, you mentioned there's so many things, right? I mean, there's just so many areas. And that's the the disconnect that, that a lot of black people, I think, have is that, you know, to, to, to kind of single out a month and say we're going to celebrate black people. It's like, well, wait a minute, we're like, we're here all the time. What are you talking about? Like, like it's, it's, it's completely in the sinew of this country, right? I mean, our, our place in it is, is, you know, we are America. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, so like to say, like to single us out, like, like, we're somehow separate from the rest of the American story. It just seems kind of odd to me. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm glad rather, I'd rather they do it than not do it. But it's like, you know, that's just us. We're just here. Like I looked it up by the way, Alfred Crail. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. C-R-A-L-L-E on this date in 1897 was Alfred L. Crail or Crowley. I'm sure I'm, I apologize if I'm saying it wrong. Invented the ice cream scooper, U.S. Patent 576395. Of course, a brother invented the ice cream scooper. Of course he did. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, so it's like, so what do you, so why is that like, that's just like history. It's not black history. It's just history, right? I mean, that's just like, it shouldn't be separated. It should just be American history. You know, on this day, this man invented the ice cream scooper, you know, like, so it's, it fascinates me how we kind of are still kind of marginalized and, and put to the side, but you know, we work through it. We continue to work through it. Um, and, um, you know, as you mentioned at the, at the beginning, you know, I don't know that we're at the beginning of the end when it comes to this, or, um, but I think we are progressing. Yep. Uh, it is not, and it's not linear and it's not as fast as anybody would like, but I do think progress continues to be made. And we can't ignore things like, you know, the vice president being of African-American and Asian yep. descent. That are, That's big. It's huge. And that matters. And that's, you know, I, I love people who say, well, Obama didn't solve all the problems. Well, of course he didn't solve all the problems. What are you nuts? I mean, <laughs> you know? it's, it's no, we didn't solve years of problems. Right. <laughs> right. You know, like, you know, that's not going to happen. But, you know, you can still celebrate and still understand why it's incredibly important. That that little boy that was in the Oval Office got to run his head through Obama's hair and go, damn, your hair's like mine. Right. That that matters. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, that matters. You know, and I think the context is supposed to um that that folks need to understand is all of these accomplishments and achievements in the face of yes. extreme oppression and adversity. Yeah. It's a freaking miracle. A lot yes. of this stuff and <laughs> exactly. speaks to, you know, the perseverance and the ingenuity of, you know, black people straight up. Right. <laughs> you know what yes. I'm saying? Like, it's Absolutely. just a fact. Like these a lot of these things wouldn't should not have happened, you know, but for the will of some magnificent, extraordinary people. So, you know, I think it's important to remember that context, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, let's take a break. We'll bring in Jason Quick here in a second to talk about the Blazers, to talk about the fans important, and and of course, to talk about Damian Lillard. Peace, brothers and sisters. I'm Nat X, and welcome to the dark side. 
The only 15-minute show on TV. Why only 15 minutes? Because if the man gave me any more, he would consider that welfare. Let's bring D.A. into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comma is. Jason on the Athletic Podcast Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and like the most in his braggadocio. I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. With David, David Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing him. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then yes. he got their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. It was so the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. Welcome to Hoops. Five, four, we have ignition. And joining us right now, the great, great writer from... Portland, Oregon covers the Blazers like nobody else. Our friend Jason Quick. Quickness, what's up, man? Not much. Just trying to get through it. Man. Hey, um, I, I read your piece uh, today. It's good to know that there's other teams that have shitty defense besides the Wizards. Uh, <laughs> that have star players that are trying to do the right thing. It's The parallels are stunning between Dame and Bradley Beal. Um but you you said that you thought he was starting to carry the burden of of this bad team on his back, and I just wonder what what does it look like? What does it feel like from your perspective? You you've known Dame obviously for for many years. Dame invests so much into this franchise, and he has that singular focus of winning the championship, and he's very sincere about that. And I think he realizes right now because of their level of defense that they are so far away from being a championship team. And I think that hurts him. And I think he realizes that, and particularly now that CJ's out, that he's going to have to shoulder even more responsibility and uh, play even more heroically like he did against Chicago. We've seen that for years in Portland, him, kind of willing this team and carrying this team to heights that they probably don't deserve. Um, So I think by now he thought or had hoped that they would be farther along in their progression. And I think especially after this off season, you know, he had a sit down with Neil Olshay, the, the Blazers top executive and, basically said, let's go for it. Let's really push and and make a, a move this year. And so Olshay, who loves draft picks, traded this first round pick to get Robert Covington, used his full mid-level on a guy who's a defensive guy, Derek Jones Jr. And so they were really feeling optimistic that they were ready to take the next step and kind of be a contender because they had upgraded their defense. But here they are in February, quarter way through the season, and they're still terrible on defense, 29th out of 30 teams. And I think he can feel that, that they are not closer. Uh, they're farther away, if anything. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You know, Jason, I feel conflicted, you know, as somebody who's such a huge fan of the league. Obviously, it's our job to cover it. When I think about the sort of antics James Harden pulled in Houston, right? when he decided he no longer wanted to be there. And then I think about Dames just doing the opposite his whole career and being like, I'm going down with the ship. Um, I'm not going to be some type of ring chaser. I believe in my guys. I'm never going to ask for a trade because I feel like I need to empower the people around me to feel like there's belief in what they do. And all of these things that we love Dame Lillard for, But then I know at the end of his career, when or if he doesn't win a championship, he's going to be judged harshly for that. So I'm conflicted as to, like, (laughs) what's the right way for a superstar to, you know, try to use his power and influence to ensure that he's in a position where he could win and have his his life's work be you know looked upon in the in the right light. You know what? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, that's a lot to unpack there. Um, and I'll, I'll try to tackle that first off. I, I think, you know, as far as his, how people will judge him and where he'll stand, I think that that varies, you know, somebody in Hartford, Connecticut will probably view it differently than people who live in Portland. He will go down as the greatest blazer of all time in Portland. I, I think already the fan base will grant him that. And it's not just because of what he does on the court. If you live in this community, if you live in this region, the Northwest, Dame is an incredible presence. He is involved. And it's not the, hey, let's call some TV cameras over and uh, film my community service thing. He's in the weeds, doing the work, getting his hands dirty. And he doesn't do it for attention. I was talking to a, a guy in the police force here, and he says that he hears so often from his guys in the field, of fellow police officers, and dames in the streets that in the neighborhoods that are not so good in Portland, 
making a difference, talking to kids. Kids have his cell phone number and he keeps up on them. He he has a great uh, connection with high schools here. He has a program to kind of um, motivate them to to go to school. So anyways, that's one part of, I think, what you were saying. I I think in Portland, he's going to have a great legacy no matter if he wins a championship Mm, or not. But to your point, he is not – he will never be uh, James Harden, Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler type who gets fed up with the situation and and wants out. And I think one thing about the current situation and how bad they are in defense and one thing that I really admire about Dame is he takes responsibility. He knows he's part of the problem right now on defense. And his he knows it's upon him to – take some of that responsibility to help the team get better. He wants to be part of the solution. And uh, that's important to him. He takes ownership in what's going on. He knows that what's going on with the Blazers right now is in a way a reflection of him. So it's his job to help the younger guys on the team or help uh, the guys who are struggling and Try to figure this out instead of making it worse by pointing fingers or making noise that he wants to get out. So I think the thing with Dame is he's always about the right things. He's about loyalty. He's about hard work. He's about looking himself in the mirror and being accountable. So um, that, I think, will forever be his legacy to the people who are really paying attention they will know that Damian Lillard was always about the right things. You know, it, it, I, it's funny you, 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 you've mentioned that. And I wonder, Dame, as you know, <clears throat> always did, was very active in the team building things, you know, before the season. I think it was, was it San Diego he had everybody come down right. to a few years ago yep. before the season. And obviously you, you couldn't do that before this season. And I wonder if that has had an impact, do you think, maybe on chemistry, on, you know, figuring everything out as a team uh, with Portland. Obviously, the injury to, to CJ and, and to Nurk has been huge, but the lack of you know team building, how, how does that play in? I don't think it's huge, DA, actually, because uh, I think it's nine guys who are returning. I mean, really, the only new guys were uh, Covington and Jones. You know, Cantor had been here before. Carmelo had been, you know, spent last year. So it's a pretty familiar group you know dame cj and nurk have been kind of the foundation here for four years uh so they played a lot of minutes together they've uh, been together uh so i i think probably what hurt them the most was the abbreviated training camp and then they had the the positive uh covid test that shut down their first two practices and, you know, Terry Stotts wanted to put in a new defense. And so they were kind of behind the eight ball uh, to start. But again, those, I, I think we're searching for excuses to try to bail them out. And, mm. uh, you know, there's a lot of teams who have switched personnel and switched sides. I mean, you look at Houston, they're uh, playing well defensively. Cleveland's playing well defensively. Uh, the Knicks. These are these are teams that uh, have had new coaches, new personnel coming in, and they've made the adjustments. And Portland hasn't. And the thing, I mean, the thing that makes this really, really difficult is the injuries. Um, you know, Nurk is an incredibly important defensive force for this team. When they 
pick him up in a trade, the Blazers were 30th in the NBA in defense, and he helped them so much defensively that they ended up 22nd that season. And as you know, you know, they picked him up in February. It's hard to move up in defensive rankings once you have a, a body of work behind you. But he was good enough to vault them from 30th to 22nd. And uh, so having him out hurts and having Zach Collins out hurts because Zach is a very good defender. But that being said, when Nurk was in the lineup and when CJ was in the lineup, they were still struggling defensively. They were, you know, 26, 27, 28 on any given night. So um, this is a problem, their defense. And I, I, I don't know what the best way to address it is. I mean, some people think it's the personnel. Some people think it's the coaching. But but isn't it the personnel, though, Jason? Like, if, like you're, you're playing a, a, an undersized backcourt defensively, a lion's share of your minutes, right? So that's there's always going to be a strain on that, right? And then your big man rotation, you know, Zach Collins has had the most unfortunate injury luck as, yeah. as as much as anybody on this team, he hasn't played in almost two years, it feels like. Um, nobody would ever accuse Carmelo Anthony of being a defensive anything at this point. Um, and he gets minutes, right? Like, And so when you're playing an undersized backcourt, you're playing Carmelo Anthony, you're playing Enos Cantor, who, again, nobody's idea of a defensive stalwart. I think some of it is the personnel, no? I, I think when you have Robert Covington, Derek Jones Jr., Yusuf Nurkic, those are three pretty good defenders in your starting line. Yeah. Uh, Dame and CJ, okay, they're undersized. Uh, they've been around. They they anticipate plays coming, yeah. and I think both have improved. They're, are they? Yes. Are they Absolutely. good defenders? No. But are they brutal? I don't think so anymore. Uh, particularly not Dame. Mm. Uh, they have they have spells, and even Dame will admit it. Where, yeah, he lets up on defense because they ask him them to do so much on offense. Um, but so to your question, they've got three pretty good defenders there. Gary Trent Jr. is a pretty decent defender. I, I think they have tools to be a better defensive team than 29th. I, right, I, I think. Right. I, I think what they this team should aim that they just need to be middle of the pack. Middle of the pack, 15th, 16th. Um, but, you know, when you're 29th defensively, you're in the – you're with teams that are trying to lose, you know, <laughs> rebuilding, tanking. Seriously, right. you know, like that is hard to be worse than teams that are trying to lose. You had mentioned – I mean, again, in I think in passing, but it has to come up. He's been there nine years, and we all love Terry Stotts as a guy, but you have to ask yourself – it's been nine years. I mean, at some point, if it's not getting better, what are we doing? You know what I mean? So I wonder, and I know Vulcans, their own kind of odd place, and they make their decisions differently than different than other organizations do, than other ownership groups do. But I mean, what what's the what's the time frame here? I mean, is it just kind of indefinite or is well, it you know Yeah, that's what I raised today, I think, in my articles. Um you know, are the Blazers closer to winning a championship than they were nine years ago? Maybe a little bit because Dame has evolved into an elite player, but really they're not because their defense is not good. And so you, you kind of have to ask, 
what are you happy with? Are you happy with this, this kind of, yeah, we're good enough to scratch and claw and get to the eighth seed and then lose in four or five games and sell out the building and, and have a team that the community loves? Or do we really want to make a push for this and, and go for the title? I don't know what the answer is because Jody Allen, uh, who took over after Paul passed away in October of 2018, she doesn't give interviews. She has never spoken to the press. That is amazing to me that you can own an NBA team yeah. and yeah. have never spoken to anybody about it. That just yeah. that just seems incredible to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, another, how does that happen? That's another yeah, combo that's for just, another day. The <laughs> right. Like, I'm seriously, like the lack like of you, accountability amongst that. You own an NBA team, the, and you haven't talked to anybody in the local media craziness. since you bought the team. Craziness, <laughs> craziness. So, you know, I mean, the way the way that she has done her talking is by opening up the checkbook, signing Dame to a, an extension, signing CJ to an extension. Uh, Olshay and Stotts got extensions. Um, she's she's paid money, you know, she's, she's, she supported it through her checkbook. Um, but as far as what her goals and ex expectations are, I have no clue. And I think that's really what is at stake now, because with Stotts, they've shown that they can be a good team. They have not shown that they can be a great team. And does he have what it takes to elevate them to the next level? I don't know. Um, but you know his body of work defensively is not great, dating back to when he was a coach with the Hawks, a coach with the Bucks. Uh, in Portland, he has had two good defensive teams. One when it was Lamarcus Aldridge, uh, Robin Lopez, Wes Matthews, Nick Batum. Uh, they were ninth, and then uh, one year they were sixth. Um, and that's when they had Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu, Nurkic. Uh, but other than that, he's been pretty much uh, in the lower third of, of, the, of the league in defensive rating. So um, I think there's a lot of questions that they have to, to answer and, and kind of define what, they, what their expectations are and, and where they're going. If they're happy with a playoff team and, and filling the building, okay. Yeah, you know, I, I think, and again, I, I, I'm somebody who says it all the time. I don't think, you know, perennially being competent is something that people should sort of poo-poo or pretend isn't an accomplishment, right? Um, as mm -hmm. a New York City native, I've seen the opposite. 20 years yeah. <laughs> of ah. incompetence. Right. You know, <laughs> like the idea that Knicks fans would not have absolutely loved being in the position that Portland's been in the last 10 years, every year being in the playoffs, every year fielding a competitive team, watching somebody who is as all-time great as Dame Lillard is every single game in their home stadium, I don't think fans would have, you know, thumbed their noses at that. In fact, I know for a fact that Knicks fans would go crazy for that. Right? Um, you know, yep. even though we know Portland hasn't really threatened seriously for a championship in that span, right? But I do want to ask about some of the other pieces on the team and how um, organizationally they're feeling about these guys. I know, 
I know uh, I know Zach Collins is a favorite of Oshie. Or that's what I've been told. I, I don't know that for a fact. Neil Oshie hasn't told me specifically. But I know he's somebody who Oshie loves. I personally am a fan of, of Simons because I watched him have a really good game against the Clippers. <laughs> and I made a joke to Zach Harper that Kawhi Leonard was hiding on Dame Lillard that game. Yeah. But I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of, <laughs> I'm a fan of Simons. Um, obviously, Gary Trent has been a breakout. What about the young guys? Because, you know, a lot of times that's where your improvement has to come from. Like, you're not going to get in some great player from free agency or via trade. You have to improve internally. Where are we at with the young guys on the team? Well, last night the uh, in Milwaukee, the, the Blazers got drilled um, by the Bucks. But if there was a bright spot, it was Nasir Little, um, second-year player out of North Carolina. Yeah. He had, yeah. He had 30 points. Started at uh, small forward and had 30 points. And look good doing so. Hit five three-pointers, uh, six boards. Uh, but just actually just a little bit ago, the Blazers came out with their injury report. And he's questionable for tonight in Washington because he had his uh, sprained knee. So Jeez. when it rains, it pours, I guess. Right, right. Uh, so that was really encouraging to see Nasir um, kind of blossom a little bit. It's been a really weird career for him. He uh, was ready to kind of break out of the bubble. Then he he got undercut in the practice and suffered a concussion. Then he was trying to come back from the concussion and he fainted in practice, uh, smacked his face on the on the court, and uh, they held him out for the rest of the bubble. And then uh, they reconvened for this season and he he catches COVID and and had a bad case of it. Lost twenty pounds and didn't return until. Um, the first of the year. And so this is, uh, you know, he's played in nine games now. And so it was really cool to see him kind of blossom and, and have a big game, but, uh, him, Gary Trent jr. And Anthony Simons are, are what they're banking on for the future. Um, and then Collins, of course, uh, actually I'm talking to Collins later today and kind of getting an idea of when, He's going to come back from his ankle surgery. He had ankle surgery on December 30th. But uh, it's been, a, you know, Olshay has tried to juggle being relevant now, but also building something uh, for the next iteration of the Blazers. And I think they're okay there. He's missed on some drafts. You know, the the Collins draft, uh, he traded up to get to 10. And I think Bam Abadio was there i think yeah, Don yeah. was there yeah. so he he's had a couple misses that he, he would probably like to have back but um they remain high on collins they think he can be you know an elite defender and a, a good offensive player who can play inside it out inside and out but uh yeah it's uh i, I think though when you look at the nine-year tenure of Olshay, Lillard, and Stotts, they all came at the, the same time, the same summer of 2012. Yeah. Uh, you would hope that they'd be a little farther along than they are right now. They, they've dabbled with some success, a couple three seeds, got to the 2019 Western Conference Finals, but uh, it's been a tough go of it the last two years. I, you know, I think uh, to, to get to what 
back to what Waz and, and you all talked about a little, to me it's fascinating because I think Portland, like Milwaukee, like Indy, like Utah, to me that's where you find out if this league's working or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if 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 those are good, well-run franchises and they make the playoffs every year, like, just like Waz said, I mean – this notion that everybody is trying to win the championship every year is such bullshit. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's just, they're not. And you know what? That's okay. I don't mind that because everybody can't win the championship every yep. year. Right. Yep. But what most teams should aspire to be is an entertaining team that wins, wins games, makes the playoffs and, and, and engages with their fan base, wherever their fan base yep. is. And so if you tell me Dame's Dame is doing all the right things in the community and CJ and, and the other guys are in the community and they're still selling out as far as I can tell, they're still selling out yes. and they, you know, win anywhere between 45 and 50 every year. And every once in a while they get a little luck and they make the Western finals and like everybody else get their doors blown up by golden state. You know what? What's wrong with that? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with right, that. Like right. that's okay. It, it totally. Does. I don't mind that at all, as long as Dame is okay with it. Now, that's that's where the rubber meets the road, right? right? Is he okay with it? But to me, like, if if Giannis never wins a championship, that doesn't mean Giannis is a failure as a player. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's that's most of the league, and that's most of the history of the league. If you go back and look at it. Yeah, but at the same time, though, we got we got to be honest. Like, look, <laughs> and I wrote about this, and not to say that Chris Webber is was as good a player as Kevin Garnett was, but KG winning one championship, perception wise, changed everything for him. Oh, sure, yes, absolutely. everything as compared sure. to C Web, who I think it's hurt him reputationally a lot. Oh, to sure. not have won that one championship, right? Like you look at their right. their respective right. their bodies of work are about the same, yes. right? Yes. And, and, and again, <laughs> KG is probably the best defensive player of his generation. We get that, but like reputationally, when they played, they weren't all that dissimilar. No, Weber was making, one of the best passing big men, of, right? Of they all were time. making the right. All Star team every year in the West at power forward. They were considered right. to be great players, right. but like just not getting that championship is woo. It's tough. That's the thing. It's like fandom is very personal. It's very personal to to you, right? Yeah. And so it you define what where you get your pleasure and what bothers you and what you're passionate mm. about. I, I'm a I'm a Steelers fan, and I was disappointed with the end of the season, but they were relevant. They yeah, that's all yeah. I. Yep. Be relevant. Make the playoffs. Give me those couple Sundays late in the year where I can plan my day around it. I, I'm happy with that. I'm an Angels fan in baseball. They drive me crazy because we have the greatest <laughs> player in the game, yet we can't surround him with pitching. Yeah, and that drives me crazy. But I'll still tune into it. Um, you know, and I, I imagine Blazer fans—they're probably all over the board. But I think for the most part, they like this team. Uh, they are entertained by him, and uh, I think they've they've had they've been fulfilled seven straight playoff appearances. There's not a lot of franchises that can say that. So I I just think it's very personal to and different for every fan, uh, depending on what they want to get out of it. If you're wanting a championship out of the Blazers, then you're probably not happy right now, and you're probably not really encouraged by uh, 
what the future looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to wrap, I mean, there's there, you, no doubt in your mind, Dame's the best player. Cause I, when you said that, I was like, Drexler. I mean, if you believe that, that's fine. I just was curious. <laughs> I do David, because, because he's connected on a different level than Clyde yep. did off the court. Yeah. I mean, Dame is such a force. And then also he, he he's going to wipe out Clyde's all Clyde's records. I mean, he's, yeah. Yeah. he's about two years away from, becoming the greatest scorer in blazer history. Uh, and then I think he'll eventually get the assist record from, um, Porter. Uh, yeah. so it, I, I think it's say I've always kind of hedged on it saying, well, yeah, let's wait. Um, because Clyde did make the, the finals uh, a couple times, but yeah, I think, I think now I, I'm comfortable saying that, that Dame is the greatest blazer. Ooh, great. Man, that's that's awesome. Um, and you know, there I'll say this, and you know this: there's nobody that doesn't love Dame. I mean, everybody loves that guy. Yeah. You know, and he is as personable a superstar as there is in the game, and he can reach people at multiple levels. And I just, you know, he's he's an amazing guy, and I'm glad he's there. I'm glad he's happy there, and I hope he stays there. You never know, but you hope he stays there. Yeah, uh, I, and and I would, what I will say about Dame too is I, I think he's a model superstar. Um, just as far as having a game that is exciting, right? Um, I don't know how you could watch Dame play, whether on TV or in person, and not be thrilled by what he does. And just the way he handles his business, yeah. um, being measured in how he talks off the court, uh, you know, projecting confidence, but also a certain level of humility that the fans eat up. I just think if you're going to have... If we had a... If all of our superstars behaved like Dame Lillard... Man, <laughs> man, that would be incredible. He's he's as real as it gets. Yeah, yeah, no question, no question. Man, Jason, thank you, man. I know you you had a game last night. You got a game tonight, man. I really appreciate um, you jumping in and talking with us. But we love talking about Dame, and we hope he stays happy, and hope that you continue to do well, my friend. And um, you know, stay safe. Right on. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for the man. time, Jason. Appreciate it, man. See you. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, as you know, I, like I said, I really do believe, and I hope CJ stays too, because I've known, you know, I know CJ just a little bit more mm. because he played at Lehigh. Mm. Um, and so. Wait, you got Lehigh it, connections? No, I, they were in the same league as my alma mater. Got so. you, got you, got you. Dude, so okay, the first Okay, so you time, still pay attention to, to, to George Washington's. No, American. Go oh, American, no. my bad. <laughs> Dude, so the first time when CJ when CJ was a freshman at Lehigh, four minutes into the game, I'll never forget this. I turned to the guy I was watching the game with, and I said, "What the hell is he doing in the Patriot League?" <laughs> it's like, funny. like this guy should be at least two levels higher than he's in. Right? <laughs> you know, right. like what are you doing here? This is crazy. Um, so yeah, man, it, he was uh, even back then. You could tell. I didn't know if he was going to be a pro. But I knew he was a damn good college player and should not should not have been where he was. <laughs> so they got a good one, man. So let's let's knock out these questions, man. Let me see. Let me see if I can find these questions. We didn't get to them last week. Um, hold on. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. 
Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'm going to get these. Here we go. Here we go. Now, these are... These are from a couple of weeks ago. We want you guys to send questions to Athletic NBA Show at Twitter. And like we say, no dumb questions. <laughs> don't be coming to us with, don't be coming to us with, I think, the, you know, I think the uh, the Warriors should get Bradley Beal for, you know, a second round pick. And, for you know, Eric Paschal. <laughs> and Eric Paschal, right. Don't be coming to us with that dumb shit, okay? <laughs> All right, so here we go. Um... Caleb Heinlein, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, at Caleb Heinlein, wants to know, is the league sleeping on Dreamville 33? And, of course, Dreamville 33 refers to Isaiah Stewart, the rookie uh, from the Pistons. And I would say, well, I'm not sleeping on him. (laughs) I don't know about other folks, but I'm not sleeping on him. Um, He's put up monster numbers in terms of, uh, you know, he's playing a lot. And more importantly, you know, I think his effort is rubbing off and people love watching this guy do work in the paint. And so it's it's he is well part and parcel of what Troy Weaver's trying to do in uh, in Detroit in terms of lunch pail guys, hard nosed guys back in, you know, in the in the Ben Wallace tradition. So, um, no, I'm not sleeping on him at all. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm having an inside the NBA moment. I haven't watched very much Detroit this year. Um, when I'm at the hard. house scrolling through my league pass, I I, I try to you watch the on the Pistons, right? That are, that are going to be here in April and, and May right, right, and right. June. I, I, I haven't honestly, if I'm being honest with you guys, Paid attention to teams that I know outside of the Knicks, of course, because so many people in my life, um, the Knicks are central to what they do, right? Um, by the way, make sure you guys check out Hoops Adjacent. I mean, excuse me, the restricted area on YouTube on Thursday. We got a special guest, biggest Knicks fan on the internet, Jerry Ferrara um, from oh, Entourage and Power, et cetera, et cetera. going to say Spike. We got to work our way up to Spike. <laughs> um, he'll be talking Knicks. But yeah, outside of the Knicks, I try not to watch irrelevant teams. Um, and, and when it comes to rookies, DA, like I have to actually catch you, be intrigued by you. Then I'm going to start looking like I remember Trey Young, his rookie season. I happened to yeah, be yeah. in Atlanta. And I went to one of their games and watched him live. And I was just like, this kid is electric. I'm going to pay attention to what he's doing from now on. Because I happened to catch him. The team was god-awful. But, like, to watch him be so magical, I was like, okay, I got to watch this kid. Um, So, but now that we got that question, I'm going to check this dude out. Check him out. Check him out. Like, he plays about 18 minutes a game. Got to check him out. but But he plays really hard, you know, and that's something that, Effort is a skill. I'm convinced of it. So, 
Uh, let's see. Dylan Towns at at Towns Dylan. Jalen Brown has been awesome so far, and I am loving it. What would you say is Jalen's ceiling? Can he be the best player on a championship team? Honestly, mm. in my opinion, no. Right. I don't think he can be the best player on a championship team. I think he can be a contributor to a championship team. And if he's your second best player or your third best player, I think you're in great shape because he's really good. But I don't think Jalen Brown, and, and it's not a, you know, everybody takes it as criticism when you say their guy isn't the best guy in the league. And that's not what I'm, right. I'm not criticizing him when I say he's not the best guy in the league, but he's really good, you know, so. Yeah, I, I think the problem for Jalen Brown is, again, he improves every single season, right? Which is yeah. what I love about him. It's like you can tell every offseason, he's like, no, I'm going to add this. I'm going to add this. Right, I'm right, going to improve right. upon this. Um, I think in order to be best player on a championship type of team, take a Kawhi Leonard, for instance. Um, think about that Toronto team that he won the championship on. He didn't have to be a playmaker, but you know what he could do at an elite level? Scoring you one-on-one. Just elite level, meaning like if you put one guy on him, he's getting to the line. He's creating enough space for his mid-range where he's deadly, probably the best mid-range shooter in the league, can knock down a three. Um, Again, when you don't have that elite level playmaking, you got to be elite at something else, right? Um, And so I don't think Jalen Brown is quite as elite as Kawhi Leonard in his one-on-one offense, which is why I think he'll always have to be a sort of secondary type of guy. Um, Unless, you know, he proves us wrong. He becomes a Kawhi Leonard type and is that dominant. He's averaging 27 now. Right, exactly. (laughs) And becomes that dominant where he, you know, can get to the line on command, can create enough space for a good shot whenever he wants to. Like, we'll see, but right now I don't think he's there. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know what you're saying. Um, and it might be like Kawhi, because I think people thought that about Kawhi when he first, even though he was playing 100%. well for San Antonio. Yep. I think most people thought the same nah, thing. I never thought he was going to be this type of killer. Right, right, offense. exactly. So if Jalen, maybe Jalen winds up being Kawhi, and then he is, then he can be the lead guy on the championship team. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, so I'm not going to sit here and say his, you know, he's reached his ceiling. Um, it just doesn't look like to me, like if, if he was the number one guy on your scouting report, I don't know that he would score 27 a game. Exactly. And again, it's not a criticism of him to say that Tatum's the number one guy in everybody's scouting report when you're looking at Boston right now. Yeah, and if and if we're being honest, um, Tatum did struggle to be that one-on-one guy in the playoffs against Miami. Yeah. And he yeah. had his moments against Toronto where OG Ananobi had him in a straight jacket, right? So let's, let's be honest about that. I don't think either one of them have proven to be that level of guy yet. Right. Right, right. All right, let's take one more. Tortacular. I think I'm saying it right. At Tortacular. It's a good question. When you're watching a player for the first time, what do you tend to focus on? What naturally draws your interest? So it depends on the position. If it's a big guy, mm-hmm. and I know this is going to sound dorky, it's how he defends pick and roll. It's like, has he mastered that in between jabbing out at the at the ball player while also recovering in time just in case he tries to throw the lob or the little bounce pocket pass? Like, yeah. how quickly is he picking up the nuances of that? Um, and conversely, if you're a wing, how well do you navigate pick and roll? 
<laughs> like, um, yeah. are you hunting for your shot? Like, for instance, like Lonzo, he's always looking for his p- pass, right? And that's Man. what I think limits him as a pick and roll initiator. Like, the defense just knows he's not going to try to score. And they right. get to play him a certain type of way. Like, if he was ever to become aggressive, attacking the paint, getting fouled off a of pick and roll, developing a nice little floater game to keep the defense honest, to open right, up right, some of right. his passing lanes, you would see him take that next level to a certain type of player. And so for me, if you're a wing, I'm watching how you operate in pick and roll. If you're a big, how do you defend it? Yeah, no, I I agree, Waz. I mean, I was I've always been you know taught when when I talk to to scouts and people about guys coming out of college or high school, whatever. The number one question is who does he guard? Right. You know, like, that's yep. always the number one question. Who does he guard? When he comes to this league, who can he guard? You know, and to me, that's always the number one question. I need to see. I need to look at a guy and see. Uh, not just, not just, you know, can he guard people? Because I think most people can get better defensively with effort, you know, if they if they bring forth the effort. But it's also like, how does he respond, you know, when he gets torched? You know, does he come back the next game and play better defensively? Does he give you more effort? You know, you can usually tell within the first four or five minutes of every game when somebody's going to bring it defensively or not, you know. And the good teams tend to do it every night. That is not the case with every player in this league. So to me, I'm always looking at the defensive side and what they do. Do they lay on that screen? Because everybody can lay on the screen and say, well, I couldn't get through. I couldn't get under. I couldn't get over, you know, Um, or do they fight through it? You know, and how often do they fight through it? Because, you know, everybody can't fight through every every screen, you know, but how often do they do it? You know, and. Are they getting deflections? Are they boxing people out? Are they all the little stuff? It doesn't have to be, you know, five steals a game or three blocks a game because all that stuff's overrated anyway. But it's, you know, are you playing in the team defensive concept? Are you rotating to the right person? <laughs> you know, are you pre-rotating if that's what the, what the coverage calls for? You know, so all those things. Um, I, I always look at how, how people play defensively first. Also, so. one 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 more thing, and I think this is my own, again, New York City bias. Um, for guards, like, can you just dribble past people? Like, can you get by people, <laughs> right? Like, right. I know people are like, yeah, typical New Yorker, don't even care about <laughs> shooting, which is true. Um, <laughs> none of us can shoot. But, like, can you get by people? I, I think... Um, I think a guy that comes to mind is Devin Booker. When I was when I first started watching him, I was like, well, he's known as this guy who's a pure shooter. Okay, what's he doing with the rock in his hand? And very early on, he had the subtle movements and understood the angles and could dribble past people. So it's like, wow, this dude, guys can't stay in front of him and he can shoot. Like, I, I don't know what I'm missing here. This guy's gonna be great. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right. No, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so Thank you for your questions this week. Um, and we'll get to some more of them next week. And thank you for not asking stupid questions. We like that. And uh, if you leave a review, leave a good one. Leave that five-star review on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, wherever you listen to this fine, fine podcast. And we will be back next week. See you. All right, lady, y'all. Be good. Yes, sir. And I think we all know who's a man.